You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast. We read them so you don't have to, because we weren't able to find that 11,780 more votes. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, the nation's preeminent Ben Rhodes impersonator. Ben, what's your go-to candy? Go-to candy? Oof. If you got Um, a sweet tooth, and you just need a fix, you need to get some some sugar into the system, what do you go for? You going for chocolate? You going for more of a hard candy? What's your... What are I feel gummies like, okay. even? This isn't going to help my reputation as <laughs> no. bougie. These questions never help your reputation. No, they're designed to out me as bougie as fuck. <laughs> um, they're designed to be like socialist. This guy, truffles. no way. Yeah, I, uh, deluxe uh, Lindor truffles. Custom-made okay, Lindor truffles, of course. You're joking, but it's actually like dark chocolate salted caramels. <laughs> you dick. <laughs> Is it the Whole Foods ones? No, Those fucking ten, that $10 thing of salted caramels they have fair or whatever, ways. Whole Foods? Fairways. But I did I did refer to Lindor as like when I was growing up, I was telling my wife about it. And I was like, when I was growing up, these were the height of luxury. And she laughed at me for like a good five minutes. <laughs> the height of luxury. That's oh, what I believe. All those little child slaves in Cote d'Ivoire who are getting the chocolate for you beg to oh, differ. No. <laughs> Oh no! I think it would be. This is Belgian, the show where so we'd like the... to bring up at the beginning of the episode that there's a horrible child slavery in the part of the country, or the part of the world where we get all of our cocoa from. Yeah, I mean they're Belgian, so it would be the Congo, if anything, probably. No, Cote d'Ivoire. There's a, there's there's legitimately a huge child slavery problem. Cote d'Ivoire is the largest produ- producer of uh, cocoa in the world, and okay. um, they I was have going a massive more child for, slavery for problem. Allow, allow me to bring the show down right here at the mm. beginning. Most of the chocolate you eat comes from child slavery. Just be aware. That's all I want you to know. Feel okay. that guilt next time you bite into your delicious little treat. I was I was going more for Belgium's colonial past, okay. but you know that's that's another you know either way. <laughs> well, anyways, this is the show where we no, did. Hold on, deep. what's your what's your candy? Don't let me my candy? Like, say yeah, I, say my bougie choice, and then you're like, oh, Jolly Ranchers, like I, an idiot. I, I'm gonna go possibly worse and say that it's Sour Patch Watermelon. Oh, that's shit. uh is there a more white trash candy than sour patch watermelon i don't know but that's me as a person right there i don't care who. <laughs> you are a sour patch watermelon. i am a sour patch watermelon that's what i am because you are what you eat uh that's but nice. anyways this is the show where we dig deep into the cracker barrel of right-wing thought and it is a cracker barrel uh mm. trying to find the one cookie lying down in the bottom of that do you know the history of cracker barrels now that i bring it up 
I do. I barely know what it is, apart from a bad restaurant. Yes, so you are aware that it is. Uh, no, I will say the Cracker Barrel has a wonderful chicken fried steak. Um, sure. I, I will not fault the Cracker Barrel on that and their collection of kitsch uh, that they sell in the area where you enter the restaurant. <laughs> but um, a Cracker Barrel at like old timey stores, right? 1800s, there'd just be a barrel of crackers sitting around. Oh, right. And like, I, I don't remember why I looked into this one day. But I just went down one of those Wikipedia wormholes where you just need to know all this information. And so there's just a barrel of crackers sitting in this store. And people come up and just, like, scoop out a handful and eat a bunch of crackers that just been sitting out in the open air. And rats would get Ooh. into the barrel. And I Weevils, always thought, presumably. yeah, yeah, that, all that kind of shit. They get wet down at the bottom. And I was like, that is a terrible name for a restaurant if you got a gross bucket of crackers. <laughs> Why yeah. don't you name your restaurant after that? No, but anyway, that's, that's what that's the gross pile we're sifting through to try and find the kernel of right-wing thought down at the bottom. So, Benedict, get the show started off this week. You got any hot takes for us? I do, I do, and it is that Peruvians make the best roast chicken. Wow. This take brought to you by the fact that I had Peruvian roast yeah. chicken just yesterday. And I mistook the restaurant you were talking about for a more popular, I believe, chain. Uh, Nando's. Nando's Perry. Is that the one you went to? I thought, okay, I don't know. I, you told me that wasn't Peruvian. I don't know what country it is. It's not it Peruvian. Is. It's not Peruvian. All it's, I know is I like Portuguese, the fucking food. Mozambican. All I know is I yeah. like the food, man. That's all I can tell I mean, you about a, it. A, a, che- a cheeky Nando's. Do they have, they have Nando's in D.C., right? Yeah, there's one across the street from me. Literally, oh, literally like across the street and a block down. There's a, there's a Nando's right there. Yeah. So I've had it. And it's good. It's good chicken. It is good. It's good. I don't know how every, hot of a every take spice yours is, level but is good. Yeah. Even even the lemon herb, it's not spicy, but it's good. Yeah, it's a damn good chicken. Damn good piece of chicken. <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Nando's. <laughs> uh, anyways, my hot take this week. Uh, I am tired of big blank, um, mm. big tech, big energy, big oil, big whatever. I'm just. It has nothing to do with anything Sorry, important. Hold on, just one I'm second. just tired you of the last- phrase. Last week you were like you called something big calendar. Yeah, like literally as last a joke, week. motherfucker. Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> but I'm just t- look. I, I I like it as a joke format. I think it works. I think it works. And the reason is, I think we all sort of understand that big everything is sort of a tired way of of referring to every single. Yeah, thing. it it's like anything gate, right? Exactly. The, That's what I was going to compare it to. Watergate gate. Is yeah, the, exactly, the, the exactly. And so I'm tired of big blank. And I just I just want that phrasing. It doesn't need to go away, but we need to stop using it for everything, right? Big yeah. solar, big wind. And I think the reason I'm possibly more annoyed with it is the amount of right-wing media I take in mm. and the frequency with which they call everything big blank. Like, I heard someone say big liberalism the other day. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, that's a, that's a bit of a step too far, bro. Uh, it doesn't matter, <laughs> but you know, it, it annoys the shit out of me. Big Martin Bailey. Yep. <laughs> so Benedict, what's on your bookshelf this week, my friend? The Lord of the Rings. Ooh, going <laughs> yeah. well. Not deep cut. You're going. You're going top level cut. Okay. Top level cut. Yeah. So read the whole of the Lord of the Rings. I keep meaning to reread it, and then I watched the movies recently. And then you're and like, why the I fuck w- do I need to read the books? I just watched the movies. No, the books are fantastic. <laughs> that is not the case. The movies are great, but you should also read the books. I remember when also, I was a kid. I, I-, listened to, I listened to an interview with Tolkien, and he sounds exactly how you would expect him to sound. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, I read those books in like fourth or fifth grade. 
and uh, they were the, probably wasted on your info. Oh, they absolutely <laughs> were. They absolutely were. Like I, I read them since then, but I think the first time I read them was fourth or fifth grade. And we had these uh, reading comprehension tests where you went into the computer lab, and you know this is the nineties, so we had a computer lab on campus, like a tiny little room with like five mm-hmm. computers. Uh, and you went in there and you logged into this system and put in your information, and you took a test based on the book. Yeah, you I read. remember doing that. Yeah, and so I did uh, all the Lord of the Rings books because, like, I'm reading these big kid books. I'm going to go in there and just wow every. And, like, my reading comprehension scores were all always, like, you know, however they did them. They always said I was, like, a couple grade levels above my actual grade or anything. But I went in there and I, like, flopped on the Lord of the Rings books. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, there's so much detail in those fucking books. And they're asking, like, who was also, the name of this person? I'm like, I don't remember these words. fucking made up names. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You expect me to remember these made, made up, up names from people? Well, I did well in the English portion, but my Elvis <laughs> really let me down. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was the Dwarvish that really got me. Who did you get down to it? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Lord of the Rings. That's a great suggestion. If you haven't read it, if you're, I don't know read where Lord you've been Rings. living, but yeah, go ahead. Read the Lord of the Rings. It's a, it's a great trilogy. I, I what's love it. What's your obvious classic that people should read? <laughs> Uh, well, this week, I'm not, you know, I, I said last week that this is the the year of the anime for me, right? Okay, I'm, okay. I'm getting deep, my friend. I'm getting deep into manga and anime, and I am really loving it. Um, I haven't had much time yet early on in the year to read much manga, uh, which is Japanese comics, if you don't know. Um, but I've been, you know, I like to have the TV on while I'm working, so... It's always playing, basically, on just whatever I have going. So I've had just so much anime playing while I'm doing all my work on my laptop. And I found so many shows that I love. But the one I want to suggest today is one called Ergo Proxy. Um, Mm. And it's a wonderful science fiction uh, show from 2006-ish, I think. Um, which it's deeply philosophical, very interesting, has to do with ideas like what does it mean to be a human, Uh, what is your purpose for being, there's all these deep messages. And I gotta say, as far as what I've found with anime and manga so far, um, given that they're all fully enclosed stories, they don't exist in a wider universe like DC or Marvel, the stuff I read, the American comics, um, the stories themselves are much more... They're planned out and designed, and the the writer, whoever is doing this, um, since it's typically one writer all the way through, has a lot of ideas they want to express, and I've found that they do it extremely well. Uh, so there's a lot on, of philosophical on. thought. You're telling, in, you're telling me these stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end? Yes, they do. Yes, wow. they do. As wow, compared, unusual for as comics, compared which normally to are just comics. philosophical diatribes that nobody cares about. <laughs> well, I mean, I gotta say that there is a marked difference from American comics with, with manga and anime beyond just, like, the style and stuff, right? Mm. And they are, like, there's a lot of stories you've probably heard of about there, maybe from, like, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I don't know if you remember that as a kid. I think that played on TV when we were kids in the, the mid-'90s. Uh, it made its way over to America, at least. I don't know if it made its way I over you, think. but it's a no. deeply philosophical work written by a man who was suffering from intense depression um, and explores a whole lot of concepts about people and what makes us work and what it means to be alone uh, versus with other people. It's, it's incredible. And so I, but uh, check out the one I recommended this week, Ergo Proxy. It's on Hulu. I, I've been watching it as I do a bunch of work and it's, it's very entertaining and just very well done. You know, it sounds not- a lot better than all extended universe comics. Yeah, you know, like, any, but they seem very boring. 
I, you know, I think if you were to get into comics and stuff, you would get into Japanese anime. And, or, that or sounds manga. right. That's what you would get into because I think you could uh, get into the stories a lot better rather than the, the extended universe concept where everything is in one book, right? It's just one story all the way through and it's just, it's just serialized basically. Uh, I think you would enjoy some of it and I'm going to probably force you to read some in the future. Yeah, I mean, the, the self-contained comics I have read, I've enjoyed more than yeah. the the children's comics that you shut read. up shut <laughs> up they're for adults too for, although manga and anime are, are remarkably more for adults than than any of the yeah. american comics i read like they're okay i i, like, I don't want to dwell on this subject too long but it is the year of the anime so i'm gonna be talking about it a lot but like there is one series called attack on titan which i think i recommended uh, last week or the week yeah. before um it is brutally violent and and extreme and disturbing in a way that I find so compelling. Like there it's, you know, it's a bunch of, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds fighting these giants called Titans. And mm. there are moments in the series and in, in the, the anime and in the manga where they're just, they're just screaming. I don't want to die. Right. And it's just, it's gut wrenching because the voice actors are amazing in it. And it's just, it's incredible. It's absolutely a, a work of art. I think here's, here's one for you. Subtitles or dubs for foreign movies. Oh, I don't want to get into this. I don't want to alienate. I don't want to alienate our viewers, our listeners. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a dub guy. I'm, oh, I'm dubs no, over no, subs. No, no, I'm no, dubs no, over no. subs. Well, this is good because I am a subs guy. So. Okay. That's good. Well, we can have a split opinion. I'll say my main reason is, like I said, I'm I'm watching it a lot while I'm working on my computer. Fair so enough. I don't want to have to, you know, be staring at a screen and reading. I'd rather, you know, it's it's my way of getting in stuff, you know, multitasking, even though that's not a real thing. So yeah. I'm trying to do multiple things at once, and I'd, I'd rather be able to just listen to it than have to be staring at a screen and reading. That's fair enough. And my, just for, for reference, my aversion to uh, to dubbing is that my first experience with foreign tv and movies it was in spain and i speak spanish so you you see like this weird like you see the spanish version mm -hmm. in spanish and like the vocal performance matches with the um the performance mouth. of the yeah. actor on screen as well not 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 only matches with the mouth but matches the emotion of their face and the timing of the like when it's said and stuff so and then you watch the english version and being bilingual you see that it's like it doesn't necessarily quite match all the time yeah. and that it just takes me out of it so then i assume that that's the case for all languages may which may not be well i but will say it it's much easier with anime right because it's animated yeah. So there's no, not as much concern with matching the mouth movement with uh, whatever the person's saying. And then, yeah, well, yeah, there are some translation differences, but I don't think they're incredibly difficult problems to overcome, right? I think, I think in general, they get the gist uh, of what's going on, and they probably spend more attention to it when it's a, a particularly important thing that someone is saying. So yeah, but I, I, as I say, like I only I, I watch live action stuff, not the manga or comic stuff mm -hmm. so then like that it's more important then to me that the the vocal performance matches the physical performance i guess yeah. yep I don't. well we've wasted enough time talking about this i am trying to just <laughs> talk about this book as little as possible by like distracting you with manga 
Yep, that is true, and I can spend an entire hour-long episode talking about it. Uh, but anyways, a little bit of housekeeping. Hey, I'll do it. I'm, I'm more than down. You want to start our anime podcast? Patreon episode. No, <laughs> the anime fanverse is way too much for me. I know. Just another anime podcast, like the world needs one. Uh, but so, uh, housekeeping this week, of course, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, please, please, please go and do that. Follow us on social media, at NYGBCpod. Um, and I will say uh, two little things. One... Uh, uh, I, I talked to the guest we're going to be having uh, for when we do the Dinesh D'Souza movie. Uh, it's Morgan Stringer. I thought I could make the announcement this week so you all know. We all love Morgan. Morgan's so much fun when we have her on the show because uh, she comes prepared and she's funny as hell. So I love having Morgan on the show and she's going to do the movie with us. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. That'll be coming probably next month uh, when we're able to get it done. Also, wanted to mention uh, that obviously we're late on the December patron-only bonus episode. We're going to be cranking that out as soon as we can, probably this upcoming weekend when we can get together and do that. Uh, And also, we have a new book poll coming up on Patreon. I'm probably going to put it up as soon as we're done recording today. So we're almost at the end of uh, the the other book, uh, Ben Shapiro book. So we're going to need a new book coming soon. This is today the last chapter of the Greg Jarrett book that we'll be doing. Uh, But we're not going to replace this book because we're going to go to those different episodes we've talked about in the past. Uh, but coming up, right, we are going to need a book, new book. So for patrons, you're going to be able to vote on what we do next. I have four suggestions um, that I'm going to leave over there on patreon.com forward slash NYGBC uh, from Dave Rubin, Glenn Beck, Michael Savage, and Ron Paul. So I hope... I, uh, I hope we get to discuss all the ideas. Actually, don't vote for that book. Vote for the Glenn Beck book. <laughs> oh, now you're with me. Now you're with me arguing for Glenn Beck. Thank you. That's what I was trying to get instead of Ben Shapiro last time. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to be over there on Patreon. Make sure to go and vote on what you want us to read uh, coming up as soon as we're done with the Ben Shapiro book. But with that all out of the way, we return to our book review of The Russia Hoax by Greg Jarrett, the New Year's weight loss resolution of attorneys. Because he's pointless. <laughs> Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, Kevin, this read... Oh, God, let me start that again. This read. <laughs> this read we weeked... Wait, no. Um, <laughs> Rabbit season. Duck season. <laughs> well, Kevin, this week we read chapter 11, the illegitimate appointment of Robert Muller, in which the snowball of inferences smashes into the poor innocent skier nearby. It's more of an avalanche at this point, really, yeah, if we're going to be honest about that, it. That was the metaphor I was going for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I was trying to trying to say what is it? Show show not tell. I was yes. trying to show not tell, and then you told. So there um, we are. I apologize. I really apologize for that. But do you have an alternate chapter title for us this week? I have two actually. Oh, you did work. Yeah, uh, chapter eleven. Not the point I thought I was making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or chapter eleven, and you get a recusal, and you get a recusal, <laughs> and you get a recusal. <laughs> Yep, yep, that's basically what he's arguing for here. Uh, I have two as well this week. Ooh, uh, one, okay. my first one, pretty simple, Bumblefuck City. Uh, because everyone he brings up in this chapter is an absolute bumblefuck. Yep. Um, and the second one is the Kraken, because Sidney <laughs> Powell makes a prolonged entrance in this chapter of the book, and it is delightful. Release that Kraken. Yes. Also, I just before we get into this, this is funny to read now because it was clearly written with the view that Robert Mueller was going to expose a whole bunch of stuff and trying to discredit his operation oh, yeah. in advance, right? Oh, absolutely. There are various points where you're like, oh, you think he's going to find some shit. 
Oh, there's a lot of assumptions made in this chapter. He also seems to assume, right, that there's going to be charges against Comey and Hillary, and it's sort of that QAnon-level conspiracy of, oh, man, they're going to they're gonna charge them all, and it's all going to come out in the open, and we're going to find out this was all a fraud because Bill Barr's my boy. That's yeah. really what it, what it all it seems like to me. Bill Barr, famously no longer attorney general. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, God, that feels good to be able to say. Yeah. Is there but, an attorney general now? Who's the um, attorney? Is it Rosenstein? Well, someone, no, general? there's an acting attorney general. I don't remember who it is off the top of my head, but I mean, we, we're not, not be without Rosenstein? someone. He's the deputy AG, isn't he? Right. So, but since Bill Barr is gone, that person is elevated to acting attorney general. Uh, and I don't remember who that is off the top oh, of my head. Oh, did Rosenstein go already? Is he not there anymore? Yeah, Rosenstein's gone. He, he left a, uh, a long time ago, didn't he? I don't know. It doesn't I, matter. Who knows, man? I, like, <laughs> 16 days, buddy. 16 more days. That's what you but think. We, we start this chapter, as we always do, with a quote that he's pulled right out of his ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one is, quote, The primary duty of a lawyer engaged in public prosecution is not to convict, but to see that justice is done. And that is from the Canons Has he of told the Conduct. Department of Justice? No. <laughs> no. And then, just to piss me off, he starts off this chapter quoting Clarence Darrow. And fuck you, you don't get Clarence Darrow. The right does not get fucking democratic socialist Clarence Darrow. No. Go, the also, fucking most well-known atheist of his day who <laughs> fought in the Scopes monkey trial and worked for labor. You don't get fucking Clarence Darrow. Yeah, he seemed cool. He wrote about him for a little bit, and I was like, this dude seems legit. I like yeah, him. Yeah, Clarence also, Darrow's is one of my heroes, right? And he's a common hero for a lot of law students because, you know, he was all about fighting for the little guy. That was Clarence Darrow's Also understood thing. that the law was garbage. Right, Fairly. right. And the um, quote the quote he uses well, from Darrow... Well, just, just, just quickly before you go, I love that he opens this chapter with ages ago. <laughs> which is just like the shitty version of Once Upon a Time. <laughs> it's like, I, we, could you not have looked up when this was said? Like, right, and ages, ages ago, ago, we're talking about like the 1920s. That's, yep. that's the ages ago that we're talking about, really. I don't know if that qualifies as ages ago by most uh, fantasy writers' uh, points of view. Ages, certainly that is not how the Lord of the Rings opens. No, no, it is not. No, it is not. <laughs> uh, but so, yes, ages ago, apparently, Clarence Darrow said, quote, there is no such thing as justice in or out of court. Fact and, check. True. Well, I think there's, you could piddle over what he means by that, but but fine. His point was particularly in regard to how juries and trials work. And certainly, in Clarence Darrow's day, our justice system was very, very different than it is now. When you had only white people on the jury, and those white people were of yeah. a certain status, and there was, there was a lot more. And that's not to say there are no problems with our justice system now. Obviously, there are still plenty of fucking issues with our justice system. But to use that quote by Clarence Darrow, the preeminent defense lawyer in the country. <laughs> and then be Donald like, exhibit A, Trump, Robert Mueller. <laughs> <laughs> is ridiculous to the nth degree. Absolutely is. So he has that nonsense about Darrow, right? But then he's going to jump right into his argument on the next page, claiming that Robert Mueller's appointment was illegitimate, like the chapter title says. I'm literally and the- saying Exhibit A of Darrow's thesis. Like, I don't think that was Robert right. da- it was Darrow's right. Exhibit A. I think he might have had some other things in mind. 
<laughs> well, and he lays out here pretty conveniently for us, and I was, I was happy about this, uh, sort of a roadmap to where this chapter is going to go. And he says, quote, The facts and circumstances did not warrant a special counsel. The regulations governing his selection were misused. His authority exceeded the limits intended. And Mueller himself was so stricken with conflicts of interest that he should never have accepted the position. Yeah, Those it's are, actually, it's quite a nice little summary. It's, it it's, really is, and that's something you're taught to do in law school, to roadmap out how your argument's going to go, and I was delighted to see that he remembered his first year of law school legal writing class. <laughs> in apparently. chapter 11. In chapter 11, finally, he remembers No, he does, he, does, he does do it throughout, I just think the arguments are bullshit, so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's also that. So he starts off with the first subsection of the chapter, which is titled, Mueller's appointment was invalid. And here he's going to argue based on, uh, well, he's got two separate arguments, really. First, he, he just blanket says, and doesn't really spend much time addressing it because he's done it already in this book, that there were no actual circumstances that warranted an investigation. There yeah. were no crimes, all that stuff we've heard from him before, we've gone through, we've tossed shit at, all that. So, so but th- this is where the snowball of inferences comes in. Like, if you're reading this chapter in isolation, as we kind of are, then you're just like... He says this is true, and therefore, we, like, it is accepted argument, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's how the snowball of inferences works. So yeah. his next argument under that is that the regulations that he was authorized under did not authorize this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's going to start with 28 U.S.C. 515 and 28 CFR 600.1, and those are the authorizing uh, statute and regulation for Uh, special counsels, right? And 28 CFR 600.1 reads, quote, The Attorney General, or in cases which the Attorney General is recused, the Acting Attorney General will appoint a special counsel when he or she determines that criminal investigation of a person or matter is warranted. So that's the first one. Mm -hmm. The second one, which he's going to spend some time talking about, is 28 CFR 600.4. And CFR, by the way, is the Code of Federal Regulations, if you're not aware. I wasn't. Thank you. And so that is, quote, the special counsel will be provided with a specific factual statement of the matter to be investigated. Okay, just a question for you here. Mm -hmm. So I read this as just not meshing with the argument that he brings forth at all. You are correct. Okay, (laughs) cool. Because he's like, but it doesn't say how specific a factual statement. Exactly. So if it's like, hey, investigate all this Russia stuff that we think was a crime... That's a specific factual statement. It's just a broad one. Right, and that's exactly correct. And the okay. other issue is that, right, this, uh, this regulation has not been used, um, and Robert Mueller was really the first time that all this came into play and all this was getting challenged by a bunch of hyper-partisans on the right who mm. were trying to support their boy. Right. Oh, so, Devin Nunes getting the Medal of Freedom, by the way. That's cool. I know. That's, that's happening tonight as we're recording. We're <laughs> recording on Monday night, and that's just gross, man. That is so fucking gross. I mean, really, you've got to feel bad for all the people who've gotten it in the past. You, you yeah. really do, because it's so been cheapened by that bumblefuck. And I'm just going to keep... I love that word now. I'm going to keep using it. <laughs> Getting the fucking Medal of Freedom. So, of course, he has told us in the past that there was nothing criminal going on. And according to Jarrett's reading of those two passages that I read to you before, um, there needs to be, A, like you, you brought up perfectly, a specific factual statement he's gonna dwell on that a lot Mm. nowhere does he mention specifically what that would mean how specific do you have to be all those sorts of things and i'll cut to the chase right away and say that 
although Jitterit may not know because the case hadn't been adjudicated by the time he published this book, it's very clear at this point, and the courts agree, that the statements that they were relying on were enough. They were specific enough. Mm-hmm. And I could cite you specifically to USV Manafort, uh, 321F-SUP-3-640. If you want to go look that up, that is a case that directly deals with this issue that he's going to be talking about throughout this chapter. And he's going to recognize that case later on, but by the time he published his book, that case hadn't actually been decided yet. It was still ongoing. Gotcha. So it's one of those circumstances where it's, I wish I I sure he wishes he could claw back his book and and argue. He well, he, he probably just argued. He fired it off it into the ether, and now it's like it's out there. Whatever. Yeah. No one he, pays attention. To it. It's a zeitgeisty he, book. No one has, <laughs> no one has reread it since 2018. Like that's true. He probably would just argue that the courts got it wrong. I'm 100 percent sure that's what he would do. Uh, but according to Jared, of course, the bureau uh, was looking into Russian interference in the 2016 election, which was a national security concern. And mm. information was being collected. And according to Jarrett, that's not the same as a criminal investigation. Overlooking completely, of course, that criminal charges are, of course, part of a national security investigation. Yeah, treason <laughs> presumably being a criminal charge that one could file. Right, along with any number of other charges. And the thing he's going to, his false argument here throughout this beginning bit of the chapter, he's going to rely heavily on the audience not remembering that that statement said there needs to be a specific matter, a specific matter specified. A a specific factual statement of the matter to be investigated. He's going to pretend that matter means crime. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what he's going to rely on. So he's going to go through the appointment order that Rosenstein uh, issued for Robert Mueller. And I'll read for you the first part of that, which he's going to spend a while talking about. And that is, quote, The special counsel is authorized to conduct the investigation confirmed by then-FBI Director James B. Comey in testimony before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence on March 20, 2017, including any links and or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of President Donald Trump. And Jarrett immediately says, where was the stated crime? The specific factual statement was not specific in any sense. It was broad and open-ended. And then you get into, like you mentioned, how specific is specific. There's a matter stated there, right? Links between the Russian government and the Donald Trump campaign, for which there could be any number of crimes that could arise from such conduct. And And, and let's not forget that it's continue the investigation that was halted by one of the subjects of the investigation right. firing the person that was investigating him. Exactly. Exactly. So he's, he's again, he's just going to be relying on that crime word, pretending that that's the, uh, the requirement, not that there's a specific factual matter that's being investigated. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brings up a couple of individuals, Michael McCasey, who's a former U.S. Attorney General and uh, a judge in the Southern District of New York, um, who... McCasey's an interesting guy. He had, he was much more lukewarm than Jarrett is pretending he is. Um, I read through the transcript of a uh, PBS interview he did where he was uh, opposite Neil Katyal, um, mm. who was the former U.S. Solicitor General. Um, so he Jarrett is pretending that McCasey is is much more solid on this uh, than I think he really was because when when McCasey is pressed on it, he waffles. He waffles quite a bit. Um, but uh, with the Mueller appointment, according to Jarrett, Americans had no idea what the special counsel was up to because the Rosenstein order violated the regulation that demanded the identity of a specific 
crime, that's the word Jarrett uses, to be investigated. And again, well, I would point one out... One quick thing, because I think you skipped over it, that he, he notes Watergate, Iran-Contra, and Whitewater all designated specific crimes. Mm-hmm. Weren't, they all, weren't all the crimes involved about the cover-up with those? I don't remember it- Whitewater in particular. I think Whitewater was about those documents that had been moved to a different safe... Uh, I think that's what prompted uh, the investigation. I thought and it was again, about lying to Congress, though, as well. I thought that was... I don't remember off the top of my head. Anyway, whatever. Um, I didn't like... spend much time digging into Whitewater, and I'm not an expert on it. But uh, I'll, I'll say you're correct. Let's just say you're correct. Maybe sure. you know. Maybe I don't. Right? It could be. It's um, unlikely. It's, it's unlikely, as we know. Uh, but so it doesn't really matter what Whitewater was, uh, because the, all that was before, that was under a previous statute, right? So there was a previous statute that allowed for special prosecutors to be appointed. Uh, the new regulation that's being, that was operated under with Mueller is the regulation that promulgated that allowed for a special, uh, I think it was called a special counsel, is the specific word that Robert Mueller was, uh, was yeah, named. Yeah, he, he was. So they're entirely different statutes, um, and they, they really don't have anything to do with one another. So it, it really doesn't matter that you compare it to Whitewater or Watergate or any of those other things. But I would point out that with Whitewater, the comparison that I do find relevant especially as we get a little further on in this chapter, is Jerry's going to complain that a lot of people were charged, were charged for things that weren't specified as matters for investigation under the original order. Yeah. I'm pretty sure getting a blowjob from Monica Lewinsky was not specified (laughs) in the original Whitewater (laughs) investigative order. Yeah. So if he wants to make that comparison, he has to go with the full comparison. He can't just pick and choose the part that he wants and the part that he doesn't want. But again, yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like, that was an obstruction of just, like, a lying to Congress thing that he got got for, right? That was the... He got got. You're right. He got got. So he gets to the, the third part. Uh, he skipped over the, the second part. He puts it in there, but it was very short. And it was, quote, any matters that arose or may arise directly from the investigation. That's a pretty general blanket statement that if you run into anything that's criminal during this investigation, of course, go after it. Because we don't not want to find all the Manaforts out there, yeah. right? We want you to catch those criminals. You can't say, ah, he didn't write it down ahead of time, so I can't charge you for the obvious crimes. Shit, what are we going to do? Um <laughs> But the third part of it is, quote, The jurisdiction of a special counsel shall also include the authority to investigate and prosecute federal crimes committed in the course of and with the intent to interfere with the special counsel's investigation, such as perjury, obstruction of justice, destruction of evidence, and intimidation of witnesses. According to Jarrett, this did not grant the special counsel authority to investigate Trump for any obstruction that happened before the special counsel was appointed. Mm. Of course... That, I don't know about that. That's not how I read that. That's false. Of course it's yeah. false. Of course it's false, right? Um, because that first statement that we read, the first part of it, authorized him to conduct the investigation that was ongoing by James Comey. Yeah. Right. And so, it, it, and the, the, any matter that arose or may arise, the arose part, so the second one, any matters that arose or may arise directly from the investigation, right? Mm-hmm. Arose is past tense. Yeah. And since this, is, this isn't the document that authorizes Mueller, it refers to things that occurred before Mueller was appointed. Yeah. So that second one obviously allows him to investigate the firing of Comey as obstruction and any other things that were obstruction uh, before Mueller was actually appointed. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, again him assuming that Mueller is going to find a whole bunch of stuff related to obstruction of justice. Which, to and, be fair, he did. He just didn't yeah. do anything with it. Well, he just didn't. Yeah, I mean, he didn't 
presume to tell Congress what to do, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it seems like he is prepping the prepping the groundwork for this was outside the special counsel's jurisdiction and shouldn't have been touched, and therefore legally it's null and void. Right, that seems to be what he's arguing. That, that, that I think you perfectly encapsulated it. And he's going to get into that a little bit when he goes into the Manafort prosecution, and that's what he's doing now on uh, on this page. And so he talks about the Manafort prosecution and how the attorneys for Manafort made this very argument that this was outside of the scope of Prosecutor Mueller's um, jurisdiction under the, the special counsel statute and, uh, and what he was authorized to do. Like I said earlier, the court disagreed with that. And they also ruled, and this is like, I, I don't want to spend too much time on deep legal analysis because I know it's Damn. so boring to you and it's so boring to the listeners. But I will just say, the court essentially said, and I read the entire opinion in the Manafort case. Oh, wow. The court basically said that even if these arguments were correct, which they didn't agree, it doesn't matter because these regulations are internal Department of Justice regulations and are not a criminal defense. You cannot... <laughs> state a criminal defense saying, well, I mean, they caught me, but they weren't allowed to catch me. <laughs> they weren't that, looking. <laughs> right. So it doesn't fucking matter. None of it matters. It's pointless. And I get that Jarrett's dumb. I get also that the Manafort case was decided after he published the book. But I don't care. I just, I, 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 none of this matters because it's all, it's all nonsense. It's very bad legal analysis. It really, really is. And From it's obvious Greg Jarrett, what, what, how dare you? Sir? It's the obvious partisan hackery we have come to know and love him for. We would expect nothing less than this level of nonsense. But we get to the next subsection. I'm going to skip over most of that because, like I said, it was decided against what uh, Jared is claiming here. And the next subsection is titled, Mueller should have recused himself. And here's where we get into what I think is uh, the more interesting part of the chapter with, again, much more terrible legal analysis. Yeah, also just seemingly like, okay, sure. But also everyone in D.C. knows each other and has right. met at bumped shoulders at cocktail parties. Like the, the thrust of the argument is Mueller and Comey were friends and therefore Mueller shouldn't have been involved, right? But right. like all politicians pretty much like there's a real over lawyerification in my opinion of mm -hmm. everything in the united states but especially the politics and mm -hmm. therefore like you can't investigate a politician without having some connection to a lawyer in dc it's just absolutely impossible. absolutely i mean i live in this town fucking everybody knows everybody and i know nobody yeah. uh i wish i knew some people it'd be really nice it'd be really nice to know some people have some of those connects if you were, uh, if you're, if we happen to have, I don't know, uh, someone uh, rich and powerful listening to the show in DC, hit me up. Unlikely, me up. <laughs> very unlikely. So uh, he's going to start off here by arguing, of course, like you said, that James Comey and Robert Mueller were the closest of friends, that they were bosom buddies, that they, these are two people linked at the hip, which of course is is very far from. Uh, not right. Yeah. No, the the best I can find in and a I, professional relationship. They had a professional relationship with the sort of friendship you develop at work, right? They had dinner together a couple times. They had never even been to each other's homes, right? It wasn't a, a close uh, friendship, but they were the sort of people who were like, there are two people in top levels of their departments in the Department of Justice who work together on a regular basis and collaborated on a lot of work. Mm -hmm. So obviously they know each other. 
obviously they're involved. But what I want to get also at- just quickly, my 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 takeaway from this is this is literally the exact opposite argument he made with Sessions. Yes, where he was yes, like Jeff is. Sessions should never have recused himself, <laughs> and then this time he's like, well, there was the appearance of a conflict of interest. So what are you gonna do? Absolutely, it's the exact opposite, and it's wonderful. So the the law he's uh, citing is 28 CFR 600.7. Uh, which prohibits someone from serving if they have a conflict of interest. And then he goes to the definition of a conflict of interest in the CFR. And that is, quote, No employee shall participate in a criminal investigation or prosecution if he has a personal or political relationship with, one, any person substantially involved in the conduct that is the subject of the investigation or prosecution, or two, any person which he knows has a specific and substantial interest that would be directly affected by the outcome of the investigation or prosecution. Now, his analysis basically goes to, well, obviously Comey's interested in it, but he interested. <laughs> but also, interested. Find, find I don't know. I want to lawyer. point out. I want to point out a high-level lawyer. Sorry. Find yeah. me a high-level lawyer that is not, like, at least professionally associated with the former head of the FBI. Okay. But I just want to point out, fucking, the word interested used in that definition does not have the same meaning that you and I would give the word interested. No, but You he, and he, I were interested in the Mueller investigation. Yeah, we yeah, would but, not have had to recuse ourselves because we were interested no, in it. No, but he means, to be fair, he means the, like, um, because Comey was fired by Trump and that's part of what's being investigated. He has an interest in... That's that's what he means. I don't think he right. demonstrates what it very I, what well. What I want to point out, though, is that that's not even that level, which is a, a more refined level than I think Jared is using in this chapter, is not how the word is meant. Interested means the outcome will affect them. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. And in no way would Comey be affected by the outcome of the Mueller investigation. Right. So unless it's like you ta- use tangible Jarrett's, interest, right? Unless you use Jarrett's snowball of inferences and know that Comey obviously committed crimes mm. and will be prosecuted by the Mueller investigation, gotcha. which gotcha. never happened, of course. So, yeah, tangible interest is, is what right. it means. Right, and so Comey didn't have an interest in the sense that the statute is meant to cover in the prosecution or the, the investigation. He would not have been affected one way or another. Obviously, I don't think Comey likes Trump very much. I think that much is obvious. But A, we have this tenuous friendship link that he's trying to to get Mueller out on. Obvious from the fact that he tried to disappear into a curtain when Trump (laughs) came over and tried to... The six foot eight man. Oh, God, I always forget that. He is... That is remarkably tall, man. It's such an enormous dude. Have you ever had that moment when you're walking down the sidewalk and somebody, you just, you don't notice them, but then they walk past you and they're like six foot eight and you just... I don't know if I've ever met anyone that tall in real life i mean my standard response is to yell you fucking freak that's what i generally go for uh when i see someone like that in public i think i think they like it i think they like the the attention, <laughs> the attention? they get yeah, they must yeah, yeah I, I think they like it uh but he continues on now trying to argue the close friendship between muller and comey right he mentions that they work together on important mm. cases that's a piece of his evidence as do um, all my friends i work with all my friends yes <laughs> and you're per- you're close personal friends with everyone you work every with, right? single that's how one every that's single how it works one. And he mentions, of course, the uh, the wiretapping fiasco with John Ashcroft, John Ashcroft in 2001, right? That's a story I think we've talked about in the, fa- the past. Uh, the running the to the deathbed. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the running to the deathbed story, um, that, that whole thing that happened with, with Comey. Um, and then we get into the anthrax issue. Um, so if you don't remember, there was an anthrax attack in 2001. People and for a long freaked time, the fuck out. 
Well, yeah, it's fucking anthrax. Yeah, it was uh, also, wasn't it around September 11th as well, or just after? Yeah, pe- pe- people yeah were... it was just after. People thought it was connected. Um, and so it, it was a scary fucking time. Um, and the FBI was investigating the wrong person for a while. They thought that a guy named Stephen Hatfill, um, who was a, uh, I believe he worked at a, a lab that had access to anthrax. And so, of course, those are the people you're going to be going after. Um, and I think in the end, I remember that the guy who eventually did it was someone who I think is dead now, but they were trying to make sure that their budget was kept up and they wanted to inspire fear in biological weapons because that's what the department they worked in covered. So like that was the whole thing Shit. behind the anthrax attack. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. But so he says uh, that this this anthrax investigation is what brought them together basically because the Bureau got it wrong. Um, and I, I did some digging into this guy, Stephen Hatfill, and it's remarkable. Like, I, I, you know, initially I would have thought, oh, this guy, this poor innocent guy, right? He's still innocent. He didn't do the anthrax thing. But it turns out he's way bigger of a douchebag than anybody <laughs> would have suspected. He's a total right-wing hack Good who stuff. just now does, you know, political hits on uh, cable news and stuff. That's all Love this guy that, fucking man. does. It's wonderful. But what Jarrett wants to point out is that the mistake with the anthrax case ended up costing uh, $5.82 million in a settlement that the uh, Department of Justice made with Hatfield because he sued them and won. Um, And his lawsuit accused the FBI and DOJ of leaking information about him to the media, uh, which violated the Federal Privacy Act. And then Jarrett writes, quote, Sound familiar? It was very much like Comey's premeditated leak to the media of his now infamous memo reciting his alleged conversation with Trump. Perhaps old habits are hard to break. Ugh. No, it's nothing like, and, and I just wanted to point out, right, the lawsuit that Hatfield filed didn't mention Comey or Mueller at all. It had nothing to do with either of them. He didn't allege that they were leakers. But of course, Jarrett wants to make that tenuous link and claim that there's more evidence because of that inference there. It's such complete bullshit. The, uh, he get, the writing becomes increasingly, like, written in this voice during oh, yeah. this part of the chapter. He's like, which man will Mueller believe? His good friend or the man who fired his good friend? How can Mueller fairly and impartially assess Comey's credibility versus Trump? He cannot. Absolutely. I love it, man. I, I, uh, that's the only way I want to read this book. I think you need to do an audiobook version of this where you, you read it in that voice. I think that already wonderful. fucked my throat up, Royally. So I'm done, done with that for now. Let me tell you, you need to use some nice, cool cigarettes to calm that throat. Uh, uh, nine out of ten doctors in the 1940s re- recommend cools for that, that throat. Mostly the ones that were in the pocket of, wait for it, big tobacco fuck you <laughs> fuck you see that was uh, a nice little callback to earlier in the episode where you said that you hated big stuff you know do you get yeah. it yep okay. i get it i get it let's drive that joke into the dirt uh but next he's gonna argue that there is a second reason why comey should have recused himself and that is that the white house claims that Mueller had interviewed with trump for the fbi director position the day before he was made special counsel now it should be clarified that that did not happen. Um, he was called in, and as a lifelong civil servant, he thought it was his duty to go meet with the president. Um, and was, you know, according to Mueller, um, he was asked, you know, for his advice on the sort of person that Trump should pick to be the next FBI director. Mm. That is not interviewing for the FBI director position. No, but Trump said it was. So. Yes. Yes, because he needed another excuse uh, eventually later on down the line. And one of the people that Jarrett is quoting here for this analysis on this is Jonathan Turley. Do you remember Jonathan Turley? I don't know. He is the right-wing hack who appeared before the House of Representatives uh, during the impeachment trial. 
to uh, represent the yeah, Trump side of the argument. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. Okay, yep. Okay, okay. He is he is a law professor at George Washington University. Um, he is Ugh, not the not bad somebody. DC school. The, yeah, he is not somebody I hold in high regard. Uh, but you know what? Uh, whatever. He's he's somebody who wrote an article. So uh, and it says what Jarrett wants to say. So he's gonna he's gonna include that in this book. Here. Love that. So Jarrett's argument is, right, based on his assumption and complete belief that what Trump said is true, even though you should never assume anything coming out of Trump's mouth is true, uh, is that it's not fair for someone who was passed over for a job, even though it doesn't really make sense timeline-wise, if he would interview the day before he was appointed the special counsel that he had been passed over, I would think there'd be like, you know, a couple days before they would. Yeah. They reach out to their first choice. Just, they don't make, they don't reject anyone yet. Just in case you don't want to be embarrassed if your first choice rejects you. And then, then you have to reach out back out and be like, actually we've changed our minds. We'd like you to come in and do the FBI job anyway. So you don't want to ask him to send in a writing sample. And they said, you know, we'd really like, uh, you know, we're we're, obviously we have a lot of applicants, so uh, we're not able to directly uh, contact anyone who doesn't move on to the next round of interviews. Views, but we will be sending you a letter in the mail which uh, by the way is garbage <laughs> and hr should all be ashamed right like people take the time to apply to the to jobs you should offer them feedback on why you didn't move them forward i'm sorry as someone in his last year of law school still looking for a job in the cratered legal market that we're currently in because of coronavirus i fucking agree yeah yes i absolutely agree uh but he goes into this paragraph which i i did find uh, hilarious which is quote Was Comey involved in the plan? Former federal prosecutor Sidney Powell wrote a book about corruption in the Justice Department, Licensed to Lie. She surmised that Mueller, Comey, and Rosenstein, who previously worked for Mueller, communicated extensively and hatched this plan for Mueller to be special counsel, if not prior to Comey's termination, then immediately after it. So, surmised there really means bullshitted, for one thing. But I love that Sidney Powell has made an appearance in this book. And I went, uh, and t- so I went to Jarrett's website and I went to Twitter and I went through Jarrett's, you know, I went through like a month worth of Jarrett's tweets. Um, and I went through, I, I did a-, a search on Jarrett's personal website, uh, cause he posts a bunch of articles there and stuff. And I looked for Sidney Powell. I could not find anything from Jarrett mentioning Sidney Powell post December 3rd of 2020. It appears to me that Jarrett has completely abandoned Sidney Powell, even though there was a lot of Sidney Powell-related content previously to December 3rd. As, as he should, to be fair. This, yes. I, I, I realized as you're as you kind of reading these questions, out, this, this whole chapter, and maybe even this whole book, is just a, is an extended edition, I guess, of the Betridge's Law of Headlines, mm-hmm. in which, uh, for, for those unfamiliar, any headline that has a question in it that's a yes no question the answer is always no like (laughs) did comey know about it in advance no was this all part of Mueller's plan no (laughs) it really is though right because and i think that comes into play because the right thinks that they are protected if they phrase it as a question and they always that's how the law works right right? of course that's how it works and they want allegedly they're playing a war of headlines because nobody reads articles anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone just reads the headline and assumes that whatever the implication of the headline in is is true, and that's a fucking crime. We need to I, we need to stop doing fucking headlines. There should I think be no that's more always headlines. been true, to be fair, because otherwise, why would there be headlines? Uh, bigger font draws your eye. I don't know. Nobody reads print media anymore. I have no idea, but it it annoys the shit out of me. I get what you're saying completely, and I agree. I completely fucking agree. But his next argument. 
he's going to move on to pretty quickly here, is that the special counsel regulations require that someone outside the Department of Justice is chosen as a special counsel. And this is his admittedly lamest argument of the chapter, even <laughs> given how lame his other arguments are, because Robert Mueller was not in the Department of Justice when he was chosen to be special counsel. He just wants to imply, well, he knew everybody there, so was he really outside? Even though that obviously means not working there. It doesn't mean <laughs> doesn't know anybody there. That's ridiculous. And his next subsection is titled, Rosenstein should have recused himself, to which my answer is yes. Yes, he should have. He should have recused himself. He had actual uh, conflicts of interest in that he was potentially a target of the investigation since he wrote the memo about firing Comey. I think uh, uh, me and Jared can completely agree here, although Jared, of course, goes into conspiracy and nonsense in his argument that Rosenstein should have recused himself. I have yeah. no issue with that argument and no re no need to read that three pages. No, um, fair enough. I just agree. I, just, to, just to go back to before that section, I would point out he's like, People shouldn't be involved in the... It should be someone completely outside. And like, Ken Starr. Ken Starr. <laughs> it was, I, I believe, the Court of Appeals for DC, right? He was a judge when he was appointed special prosecutor. He was on the DC circuit, no? Yes, but he wasn't in the Department of Justice. No, I understand that. But that he doesn't say just that. He says no one that knows anyone on Capitol Hill should have been oh, yeah, appointed yeah. special anything. Oh, and Ken Starr was a lifelong Republican hack who knew yeah, everyone. Yeah, appoint, appointed yeah. by Reagan and endorsed by H.W. Bush. Like, of course, of course. Yeah, who, who the guy he investigated defeated in an election. Good stuff, good stuff. No partisan yeah. hackery there. Yep, it's bullshit. It's obvious bullshit. But the next subsection, uh, and I think the last one of the book possibly, I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head, we have a couple pages to go, is titled, Mueller Assembled a Team of Partisans. And Which this is eminently funny. Uh, well, okay, this subsection is my favorite, and I had a lot of fun with the stuff he was saying here. So this goes back to Trump's screaming about the 13 angry Democrats <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, right? Which has always been complete bullshit, right? Yes, for a start, Mu Mueller is a Republican. Obviously, right? Obviously. But of course, we know that the, the no true Scotsman of the Republican Party yeah. is whether or he's, not you support He's not Donald a Trumpican. Trump. He's a rhino. He's a yeah. rhino, Benefic Benedict. Benedict. Um, oh, I didn't like that. Yeah. But I also want to point out, right, it doesn't fucking matter. No, people do what that political jobs. party. Exactly. It doesn't fucking matter what political party someone is a member of when it comes to investigating crimes uh, mm -hmm. on a fucking political candidate. It because if you look at his argument, right, he would then argue, I would suppose, that the only people who could investigate Donald Trump are Republicans. I, that is the logical endpoint of Jarrett's argument. But because then by his own argument... They won't find anything because they'll be partisan about it. Exactly. There is no nonpartisan. There is no nonpartisan person. Everyone leans one way or the other. There is no true independent. It doesn't exist. Well, I mean, and you I could would also find point registered out, independents, I'm sure, but it's dumb. That's extremely dumb. But I would also point out that the majority of lawyers, and especially the majority of good lawyers, lean heavily left. Because we're highly educated individuals All right, who are not... able to look at the world and know what's going on. You're not going to, I mean, look at the, the brilliant lights that Donald Trump has brought to his, uh, his campaign lawsuits. Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood, Jenna Ellis. Rudy morons. Giuliani. Rudy fucking Giuliani. These are not great minds, but they are the no. best that the They're right not has bringing to offer right now. They're not they bringing not... their best. Because they don't have any best. They just have the same level of mediocrity. 
But so he goes into, yeah, not one of the lawyers we know about hired by Mueller is a registered Republican. Blah! They donated to Democrats of the campaign maximum, which is not crazy since lawyers make a lot of money. So they gave like $5,800. Woohoo! It's so outrageous. But then he gets into a couple of individuals, and this is where I started having fun. So the first person he brought up is Andrew Weissman. Um, who uh, is, of course, completely invalidated because he sent an email to Sally Yates saying that he was proud of her. So, you know, right there, we got to get rid of this guy because he sent a supportive email to his friend. But he then goes into other reasons why Weissman should be, and beyond being a Democrat and having donated to Democrats in the past, right? He goes into other reasons why Weissman should not be part of the case. And the first one he brings up that made me laugh out loud was that Weissman helped prosecute Arthur Anderson. Do Uh you know what Arthur Anderson is? I do not. Arthur Anderson is the accounting firm, previously one of the big five accounting firms. Mm, That that is now famously the big four accounting firms. Yeah. That helped Enron commit fraud. Oh, good. They were the ones who shredded Enron documents. Okay. Oh, good. That's who Arthur fucking Anderson is. And Jarrett writes this melodramatic sentence about how he drove them out of business, costing tens of thousands of people their jobs. It was outrageous. And then, of course, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the case. He doesn't mention that the reason the court overturned the case was because the jury demands were defective. Or the the jury instructions were defective, right? So that's a whole legal... It doesn't have to do with the merits of the case. It's that when the judge told the jury what to do, he did it wrong. That's why the case was overturned against uh, Arthur Anderson. The next one he brings up was when Weissman prosecuted Merrill Lynch executives. Do you know why okay. he prosecuted Merrill Lynch executives? Presumably for complicity again, in the banking crash. Again, fucking Enron. Oh, Enron again. again. No, okay, Enron. So. Fucking Enron again. Because they gave a fraudulent loan to Enron buying fake ships. They bought oh. fake ships with a loan from Merrill Lynch. It's fucking outrageous. It's Good so crazy. And you know what the greatest part of it all is? Sidney Powell was the defense attorney for fucking Enron and the Merrill Lynch people. <laughs> that is funny. We live in a world where everything is coming back together. I do not understand. And I know, I get that, right? This book obviously published long before our current election and all the shit that has come from it when Sidney Powell has become a household name. But it's intensely funny. It's intensely funny. It's intensely funny because not once anywhere in here does the word Enron appear. No, no, why would it? He does not want to let any of his readers know that Enron was, and he's hoping none of them remember Arthur Anderson or what happened there. That's absolutely what's happening. But he wants to use all of this to destroy Weissman, right? Weissman, he went after the fucking biggest frauds of one of the biggest financial scandals in our country, which decimated tens of thousands of people's retirements. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous that he's trying to paint Weissman as the bad guy in that prosecution. It is ridiculous (laughs) to me. The next person he goes after is Jeannie Ree. Uh, who was a partner with Mueller at uh, the law firm of Wilmer Hale. Wilmer Hale is a a huge international law firm. Um, And he says about her, quote, The hiring of Ree was especially brazen since she defended the Clinton Foundation in a civil racketeering case and donated $5,400 to Clinton's presidential campaign. $5,400, that's the maximum you can donate to an individual campaign. That's not crazy. A lot of fucking people do that. Um, But I want to highlight the first part of that sentence that she defended the Clinton Foundation in a civil racketeering case. Are you familiar with any uh, civil racketeering cases against... I'm not, uh, no. 
You're not familiar with any of those. Oh, no, no, um, you have to tell me. Enlighten me. Could it be because they're absolute bullshit? Um, oh, good. Good, good. So, have you ever heard of a man named Larry Clayman? Not... I don't think I've had the pleasure. I, I think you'll... You may have heard of things he's done, but you may not know his name. Larry Clayman okay. is a outrageous right-wing activist and the founder of Judicial Watch. You're oh, familiar Judicial with Judicial Watch? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah, we yeah, all see those really... The, the buffed-out dude who does his stupid YouTube videos um, claiming he's had these huge wins in all these FOIA cases. That's all he's fucking filing, FOIA cases. Um, so Larry Clayman was the founder of Judicial Watch, and he is a overly litigious moron. As best as I can find, he has won maybe a handful of cases out of the hundreds he has ever filed. He files the most ridiculous cases, and his Wikipedia page is absolutely wonderful to read because it is case after case of pointless nonsense case he has filed that has been slapped down immediately in every court and the numerous times when he's been disciplined by courts for his outrageous activity Good stuff. it's really amazing as far as i can tell he has sued the clinton administration when they were in office about 20 times uh losing every single case of course um and then Sued the Clintons themselves personally uh, about another 20-ish times after <laughs> in it's the ensuing Coming up to Donald Trump's record year. of losses, losses in court. Oh, he's lost far more times than Donald Trump. He's sued Barack Obama. He's a birther. He has sued, uh, let's see, here's, here's a, a smattering, just a, a smattering of some of his losses, right? Uh, so he sued Dennis Montgomery, or he represented, rather, Dennis L. Montgomery uh, in a request to intervene in the contempt proceedings against Joe Arpaio. That, of course, was dismissed almost immediately. Um, do you know who Dennis L. Montgomery is? No. He's known as the guy who conned the Pentagon. Oh, good. He had a fake software he claimed could uh, find secret messages hidden in... Um, uh, uh, Al Jazeera broadcasts, <laughs> and he, he called the Pentagon for like millions of dollars. It's it's fucking it's it's a wonderful story. It's one of those things. Go fucking read it. Um, he uh, 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 sued Google, Facebook, Twitter, and Apple on behalf of Laura Loomer. Lost that one again almost immediately. Um, he sued uh, the Robert Mueller on behalf of Jerome Corsi. Uh, lost that one almost immediately. Uh, he sued. Uh, oh, in 2012. Uh, he sued on behalf of a Florida resident to challenge Barack Obama's placement on the ballot, claiming that he was not a citizen. So, <laughs> this is the person that we're talking about that filed this ridiculous civil racketeering case against the Clinton Foundation. It was a nonsense conspiracy theory lawsuit that had no chance ever. But I, I think the reason why I want to bring it up is this book is the perfect example of why they do this. Because they don't need a win. All they need is the ability to say that X person was sued for X reason. Yeah. And they the implication the is outcome. that there must have been some there there. Right. right. The so. reader of this book in particular is going to read that and go, oh, wow, the racketeering, of course, the Clintons. We know they're corrupt, they're evil, all this stuff that we've been told forever. That's, of course this is true. That's what they do this for. That's why they file those ridiculous lawsuits. It's why Devin Nunes sues a fucking fake cow on Twitter. <laughs> because the outcome doesn't matter. 
It's all a performative. It's all performance art. That's all it is. Um, Getting back to Jeannie Ree, though, he also says uh, she represented ex-Obama aide Ben Rhodes during the congressional investigation of the Benghazi attack. Uh, again, I didn't know she represented you. I was unaware. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's a good it, person. She's a good person. But again, she was the person who sat next to Ben Rhodes and, and you know, when he had questions whispered in his ear. Right. That's that's all that was. That is not in any sense disqualifying because you represented someone. And this is another point. When you represent someone as a lawyer. You are not then disqualified from any future cases because of a third link connection to a political figure that they were associated. It's nonsense. It's absolute fucking nonsense. And again, no one who supports Hillary Clinton would be have to recuse himself from the investigation. It doesn't make any sense because then you are left with only Republicans who could rep- who could do the investigation. And again, they, according to Jarrett's own logic, would have to recuse themselves because they were biased, because they supported Donald Trump. This is a nonsense argument that means absolutely nothing. But we got another one. He keeps going through these people. He goes, uh, Aaron <laughs> so Zeppelin. To. It's so many. It's all the same. It's so boring. Well, there's only there's only one more page left okay, in this right, chapter, right, and then right. we'll be done. But the, la- the last one I'll go through is Kyle Freeney. Uh, who worked at the Justice Department? They were one of. She was uh, one of the prosecutors uh, in a case um, uh, in 2014 regarding President Obama's executive actions on immigration, um, and that's apparently all he needs to say that she needs to be recused. Partisan hack. She she worked at the DOJ and did her job, and then donated to the Obama and Clinton campaigns. That's it. That's all you need. Someone who did their job and, and made a political donation. Your candidate. Yeah. That, it's good, it's fucking. Good, good nonsense it's absolute nonsense um and then the, to end off the chapter i will as i always do read the final paragraph because that's that's all we get really right he says uh he reiterates that Mueller didn't hire any republicans so obviously they all need to be recused this is all nonsense and he finishes the chapter and the book by saying quote cheating in a game of cards can involve stacking the deck arranging the cards in a way that advantages yourself while ensuring your opponent loses. It is almost certain that this is the way special counsel Robert Mueller approached his <laughs> investigation. He chose to hire for his staff a group of lawyers who are Democrats and others like Strzok and Page who vented in their messages their hostility towards Trump. Factor into the equation Mueller and Rosenstein's own disqualifying conflicts of interest and you have an investigation that bears no resemblance to fairness. The genuine fear is that this special counsel team is so rife with bias that it is more interested in convictions and the political damage that can be wrought on the president than in seeing that justice is done. End End. of chapter 11. But we're not done yet! Oh. Because we have an epilogue. We have an epilogue. And I'm not gonna, we're not gonna go through the whole epilogue uh, because it's boring. But I did have a couple paragraphs I highlighted that I found pretty funny. Pretty fucking funny. Starting off with... The first paragraph of the epilogue, which reads, I am not a Trump apologist or sycophant. He will be the first to tell you that. And I might have brought this up in the past. In the handful of conversations and meetings I had with the president over the past year, he gently reminded me of my earlier reporting that he regarded as negative or critical of him. He had a right to do so, and it was fair. sycophant. You can't write. I'm not a sycophant, and then say, he criticized me and he was right. Oh, he spanked me and I deserved it. I deserved it. But he then says, why then would I write a book that is in large part a defense of Trump? And the answer is, money. well, money for one, and B, because you're a sycophant. Money. The answer is money. That's where the money is. Yes. He then skips forward a couple, skipping forward a couple pages. He says, quote, the people who read this book probably won't. We did. We did, Greg. 
We really did. The mm -hmm. Democrats, the liberal media, and the legion of Trump haters, that's us, have convinced themselves that his election was misbegotten. But they are intellectually dishonest in believing that the president must have committed some crime in connection with Russia. Skipping down a, a little bit. I have no illusion that what I have written in these pages will persuade them otherwise. It didn't. It definitely no, didn't. No, it didn't. <laughs> If anything, it made me more determined in my... Yes, yes. The anti-Trump crowd is so adamant in their disdain that no amount of reason will reach them. <laughs> and then the final paragraph I'm going to read. There will be more revelations to come as the De Justice Department examines the venal conduct of those who cleared Clinton and targeted Trump. It may take months, if not years, before a true accounting is divulged. This is how cover-ups work. The truth is slow to emerge. Until then, the story told here presents more than sufficient facts for the reader to, to reach the inexorable conclusion that Trump was a victim, not the villain. End of our review of The Russia Hoax by Greg Jarrett and Benedict. I want to end by asking you, so far, how has his final prediction there at the end of the book held up that it would be proven that Trump was the well, victim, Kevin, not the villain. We haven't had the years required for the truth to come out yet, so... Oh, of course, of course. And, and, and you know, it's going to be decades, probably. Maybe hundreds decades, of years. Decades, maybe centuries. Hundreds of years before we find out. Who could possibly know time frames and things like that? Benedict, we're at the end of this book, and uh, I want to I wanna ask you, you know, how do you, how do you feel? I know, I know how these things uh, bother you. We know we're a bunch of triggered libtards. Yeah, and, uh, no, it's I wanna know. boring. It, more than anything else, it's just a boring book. Like, it's, it's like the, um, it's like a, it, it, it's like boring conspiracy theories. Like, it's not even a fun conspiracy theory. It's like the, the red light, you know, the, the, um, what is that? Always sunny guy with the red string. I forget. Charlie Kelly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I am aware. It's, no, I it's, get like, that. it's like that in a book, but boring. Somehow. Yeah. It's the most, it's the most boring book I've ever come across about a potential international conspiracy. <laughs> well, so I want to, I want to just, you know, cause we're here at the end and we can't not do a recap. I do want to sort of go over what did we learn from this book in the sense of our mission as a show, right? Which is to sort of figure out how they think and why they think what they do. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's all the law stuff, isn't it? It's like the, you know, it, it, if you, it, it's the logic of like, if this, then that, but the if is wrong but they assume it's right. Well, I would go a step beyond that. And I would say that, for one thing, Jarrett is, is obviously a, a propagandist, right? There's no mistaking that Jarrett is a propagandist. He has a clear mission, because if you took the time to write this book, if you put in all that effort and you did it honestly, there's no way you come out with the outcome that Jarrett did. There just isn't. It's ridiculous to think so. So obviously he's doing this intentionally and knowingly. But I think what I picked up from it more than anything else, is the sense that people in the Republican Party, because Jarrett, right, he's been around for a long time. He's been a Fox News commentator for decades or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think there's been a, this book showed us how everything has crystallized in the Trump era. This is a better example, I think, than, you know, Triggered or any of the other books we've read that show where the Republican Party is today. Because people like Donnie Jr. are too dumb yeah. to, to really be a representative example of, of anything like that. But Jarrett... He has a law degree. I don't think he's a stupid guy. I think he's a dumb guy. Uh, I think there's a difference between those two, being stupid and being dumb. And I think he shows that the Republican Party is, like so many people have been saying on Twitter, especially right-wing figures, the Republican Party is now the party of Trump. And Trump can do no wrong. 
Trump cannot commit any crimes. Even if he's committed crimes, they're not crimes because Trump did them. If it was anyone else, they would have been crimes. Yeah. But no, because they're Trump. I think that's, that's it's something we sort of knew, but I think we've read a lot through this book that shows us that they will twist themselves into absolute knots to clear Trump of any sort of, uh, even indicia of wrongdoing. Yeah, and like even, you know... It's again that thing of like, the, the, even the if the logic this is, and the facts don't matter. Yeah, but like it, it's also then like even if this is technically wrong, he's the president, so it's allowed, right? It's right. like a, it's an overreach. When the president of executive does it, it's power. not illegal. Exactly. Yeah, was pretty good. That was not a bad Nixon. Um, you got you to shake your jowls left and right when you go to Nixon. <laughs> Have a nice Charleston chew. <laughs> The Futurama Nixon will always be the best. Nixon. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But anyways, Benedict, I'm I'm glad we finally got through this Me book. Too. It's been a Me long it's the last slog chapter to of get ben here. Next week too. Right, we're at the last chapter of Ben Shapiro. So like I said, uh, go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. If you want to vote, you can become a patron. Our current patrons, of course, will be able to vote on the next book. So go ahead and check it out. Uh, we're really excited to see what's coming up next. And as we mentioned, uh, we're not going to be doing a full new chapter every week from now on. So in between new chapters of the book, we're going to be doing uh, sort of what we talked about in the past, which is those um, opinion piece readings. And I think we're going to do more videos now that I've got the setup worked out to play video on the show and, and have uh, Benedict react to them as we go. I think Can't that's going to be a whole wait. lot of fun. So anyways... Thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode. That's $4 a month. For patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Megan Ruth, Savi Aquino, Clow Rung the Deceiver, Danielle, Terrified Will Be Pecked to Death by Lame Ducks. Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taru Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, snicked. Goodbye. Goodbye. podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.